Uh, Tamari here, welcome to First Up. It is Ratu, that's Tuesday, the 14th of June. Kornathan Rarere, aho. Coming up, we discuss yesterday's cabinet reshuffle with Nationals Deputy Leader Nicola Willis and ask if her party's new gang policies are actually any good. Uh, we catch up with two of the young bucks named in the All Black squad yesterday. And KiwiSaver provider Simplicity has asked Fletcher Building for an explanation over this jib board debacle. I spoke with Simplicity Chief Executive Sam Stubbs. If you had 95% market share, you would think your customers would be delighted with you, wouldn't you? But we have 95% market share and Fletcher's customers hate them and are really desperate and frustrated. Something is very fundamentally wrong with that. Welcome to First Up, uh, Nathan to the UK we start. That doesn't make sense. To the UK we head. Let's do that one. Our man Henry Riley is in London and he joins the programme. Morning, Henry. How are you? Hello, Nathan. Very well, thank you. Hope you are too. Yeah. Hey, Prince Andrews, he's put his hand up. He's going, Mummy, I need to be reinstated. I've got a whole lot of roles. One of which is related to his service in the Falklands War. That's right. And actually, incidentally, tomorrow marks 40 years since the end of the Falklands War, since the uh, liberation of the Falklands. Um, so it's quite an important day. And um, yeah, Prince Andrew, I mean, the problem with Prince Andrew in these situations with regards to these reports are, and we knew this at the time when he had his titles removed, he thought this was temporary. He genuinely thought, according to reports, according to people nearby him, he'd lose these titles for a few weeks. It, the, it would all blow <laughs> over. He's we are quite, and he settled with Virginia Dufre, of course, um, who he claims he's never met, and um, you know he he would settle with that, and then and then in a few weeks' time, a few months' time, at the very most, he'd be integrated back into royal life. He'd be able to accompany the Queen at various events. Of course, we've just had a platinum jubilee where it was a very limited role for the Duke of York, indeed so limited people barely saw him. But he sort of thought after that, and this comes, as you say, more reports today, that the Duke of York is pushing for a return to royal duties. He used to have a role called Colonel of the Grenadier Guard, something he got in 2017. It's a sort of uh, military honorary role, and uh, he ended up having to relinquish it because of the various uh, news stories that came out about him, and the Queen then took it on. You know, the Queen's got enough on her plate, so she's now the Colonel of the Grenadier Guards as well, this 19 <laughs> Six-year-old monarch. Um, he now wants it back and has made it clear to hit to his mum, the Queen, that he would quite like it back. He'd also like the military titles that he got and royal patronages. He'd like them all back, apparently. This is only six months on um, from when he originally lost them. And this what the, the interesting contrast with this is we saw this quite clearly today. So there is the Order of the Garter procession. This takes place every year. This is where members of the royal family sort of uh, parade around and you have the key royals on display hmm. and actually we learned today prince charles and prince william privately lobbied to make sure apparently that prince andrew was not involved at all and they wanted him to remain behind closed doors because they didn't want him to spoil the event or to take the media coverage away from the event so andrew thinks it's time to move on but interestingly uh, his brother and you know various members of the family uh, are actually saying no we need to we need to keep you on the sidelines for a bit longer. It doesn't look like he's going to be integrated to the front line anytime soon. Henry, my face through that entire report there that he just expected to be. Oh yeah, you know I have to I have to. It's almost like he thought he got a yellow card in rugby. Yeah. You know, go and sit over there on the plastic chair for ten minutes, then come back and just you know Prince Andrew your way around. That is stunning. That's amazing. <laughs> Wow. Okay. Um, let's let's move to uh, a different topic here. This is the the first flight of the asylum seekers from the UK to Rwanda. Uh, that that one's taken off, but it doesn't sound like it's that full. 
Well, so we we hear mixed reports about this. It now looks like it hasn't taken off. Oh. Um, so it's 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 sort of a bit up in the air. So what we know is this was announced by the government a while back with the Ministry of Rwanda. It was announced in Kigali, the capital of Rwanda, that we'd have a new asylum plan in place. Now, just to put this in a nutshell, this asylum plan is not processing people in Rwanda for return to the UK. This is processing people in Rwanda to go and live in Rwanda. So this mm. is the idea that people are crossing the channel, small boats, and you do get thousands of people in the UK crossing over from Calais who are coming into the UK illegally. And the government has struck up this deal with Rwanda, which costs £12,000 per individual. So it's a very expensive solution to the problem. It's cost £120 million in total just to bring down the number of migrants coming to the UK, which in all seriousness, when you look at it widely, it's not a huge number. These We're talking in the thousands. You know, this is already a very highly populated country. But anyway, I think the optics of this are why the government are persevering with such a controversial policy. And what's interesting, we've had a significant development uh, on this within the last uh, half an hour or so. There was a was a big sort of court case where various charities and various lawyers took the government to court in the hope that they could prevent this flight taking place tomorrow, Tuesday, UK time. Um, and they've failed. So the government is going ahead with this. It's now got the green light from the courts. Um, we It's unclear how many people are going to be on the flight. I mean, originally, we were told that sort of hundreds of people would be taken from the UK to Rwanda. It now then looked like that number was going to be 11 and now a charity called Care for Calais said the number could be eight. So all this money being spent to mm. take eight migrants to Rwanda has caused a lot of controversy. The government's still maintaining that it will be in the thousands when they get uh, this through. Boris Johnson was on the radio this morning and actually blamed lawyers. And he said, you know, it's these lawyers who are coming in trying to protect all of these people who are about to be <laughs> you know, deported to Rwanda. Um, so it's a very controversial policy, but the government persevering with it. But the big question is, is it worth sending a plane to Rwanda if there's only eight people on board and some people are unconvinced? You've always got to worry when men in suits blame men in suits. That's always uh, what I have a look at. <laughs> Very quickly here, this I mean, this sounds familiar around the world, though. The economy of the UK contracted in, in April um, and Britain's biggest employer group is demanding vital actions. What are these? Yes. And again, how many times have we spoken about the sort of wider cost of living in the UK and you'd hope that you'd have a strong economy to bounce back? I mean, when we had the projections, projections, I should say, sorry, for what the economic growth would be like this month, we assumed it would be between a 0.1 decline or a 0.1 gain. It was within that quarter. And as you say, it's actually contracted by 0.3% in April. So these official figures coming out from the CBI, which is our main business group and the Office for National Statistics, a government body, um, really don't bear up and don't look like comfortable reading for the government at the moment. There are various reasons that are being cited for this, you know, companies mainly, and again, how many times have we spoken about this, Nathan, this is an issue across the world, is that they're blaming rising fuel and energy prices, companies really struggling to, you know, export, to move stock, to even get goods and services uh, to run smoothly. And so that sort of rise in price is being partly to blame. Um, we then had, you know, health, Test and Trace, which was our big sort of project during the coronavirus, you know, run by the government, the health sector, that's wound down, which has caused some sort of uh, contraction as well but overall it's a sort of fairly gloomy picture when it comes to uk economic growth and then we've got a very key decision taking place later this week where we'll find out how interest rates will go whether they'll be raised or whether they'll be staying where they are so a lot of focus at the moment on the economy and this comes nathan as i should say supermarket bosses are saying in the uk they're seeing a rise of people going to the tills and saying when i hit a certain amount of money 
just leave my shopping because I can't afford it. So when I get to $30, £30, just tell me and then I'll have to stop there because I can't afford anything else. So it's a pretty grim cost of living situation in the UK. It is. Henry Riley, thank you very much for your time today. That news getting very familiar around the world, isn't it? It is 13 past five. You're listening to First Up on RNZ National with me, Nathan Rarade. Always keen for your feedback if you've got it. The Green Party's just launched a petition to pedestrianise Queen Street. So this is uh, in, in Auckland. So first of all, Aucklanders, if you've got a feel on that, I'd love to know. But also, um, I know that there's some areas, you know, uh, in central Christchurch there, where those have been slightly redone to be pedestrian areas. And I know Wellington and what have you, as well, other areas uh, through the middle of Napier and all that as well. Uh, if you feel, tell us about you know pedestrianising the main street because I'll bet at the time it was like you know this is not the time uh, that people were saying. But do you like it? Do you think it get, keeps you around for longer? Pedestrianising Queen Street—that's one of them. The other one I saw the Wiggles to tour New Zealand. I don't know what this was. Wiggles to tour New Zealand for adults only concert. Only for fifteen-year-olds. Oh, okay, yeah, because I thought toot toot chugga chugga big red. Well, uh, 2101, if you can tell us what those might be. Anyway, uh, yeah, text, yeah, electric car, there we go. Uh, text us on 2101 or you can email us anytime, first up at rnz.co.nz. Let's head to Japan now where another North Korean missile test has people on edge. A correspondent in Tokyo, Chris Gilbert, explained what's been happening. Yeah, looking at the headlines this week, Nate, it's all defence, defence, defence. I wanted to have something fun for you, but uh, this is what we got. We've got Nobuo Keshi, Lloyd Austin and Lee Jong-sup. They're the defence representatives of Japan, America and South Korea, respectively. And they've just met over the weekend in Singapore alongside its uh, annual defence forum there and have agreed to resume together, quote, joint military drills in response to, you know, the spate of missile tests we've had from North Korea recently and concerns it is preparing another nuclear test. The timing of this isn't so much of a coincidence. The North Korean government has just had its annual party conference. Its leader, Kim Jong-un, used that opportunity to reaffirm his country's commitment to its ongoing ballistic tests in the face of what he calls an aggravating security environment. Mm-hmm. He is getting aggravated. However, he didn't highlight any specific goals of the country's missile plan or mention any nuclear potential at the moment. North Korea, though, of course, needs leverage in any negotiations with countries like Japan, America and South Korea and, of course, China in any defence forum negotiations, which have reached a deadlock in recent years. China, meanwhile, is Defence Minister Wei Feng witnessing the reinforced defence pacts being made between Japan and the US recently, smaller signals such as the military base spending inside Japan, and no doubt New Zealand's recent snuggling up, you know, scooching along the sofa towards the U.S. as well, has it's also accused the U.S. of trying to hijack diplomatic support in the Asian region. Fair enough, but not wrong. But also Japan has its own interests in the region, of course, as well, in regards to Taiwan. Mm. Deterring military action in the Taiwan Strait actually was directly referenced In this agreement over the weekend between the three countries, Japan and South Korea heavily depend on the American nuclear umbrella for security in this part of the world. And with that leverage in the U.S. pocket, we can really see Japan and South Korea and 
maybe to an extent New Zealand as well, as proxy states as in uh, the US's defence manoeuvres and interests in the area. Man, it's all go, you just mentioned there about uh, America's nuclear umbrella. It wasn't a nuclear weapon, but it was a, was a reactor there providing power 11 years after that Fukushima nuclear disaster. Is it true some of the villages are allowed to, turn, are allowed to return home? Uh, beautiful segue there, NATO. And yes, it has been 11 years, uh, the nuclear disaster after the meltdown, after the tsunami here in 2011. Mm. And we kind of had our own, you know, like in, in, in Canterbury after the earthquake, they had the red zone. In Japan, they had a, quote, difficult to return zone, which I, you know, you know it's, it's about nuclear radiation, but it's also kind of cute, you know. <laughs> Large parts of the zone remain in place, as they have done for the last 11 years. But Katsudao is a town inland from the defunct plant <laughs> and a 0.95 square kilometer section was made available again on Sunday. Government bodies in May decided the radiation had improved, quote, enough to return. But of that town's 30 households and 82 residents, just Four households have expressed an intent to return. That's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight people have expressed an intent to return to Katsudao. 337 square kilometers around the plant, including parts of Katsudao and other towns like Futaba and Okuma, are still closed. Those latter two towns should have partial lifts later in the year. There'll be more lifts next year. Prime Minister Kishida has expressed an intent to hurry Fukushima's return to normalcy. That might have something to do with the upper house election coming up in a month. However, 90% of the classified zone has no plan to reopen at this stage. And considering how forthcoming the government has been with information and transparency around the Daiichi failure for the last 11 years, I would remain sceptical of any reassurances from the government, at least about how safe the area is. That's our correspondent in Japan, Chris Gilbert. If you're listening live, it's 19 past five here at First Up on RNZ National with me, Nathan Arudi. The wild weather continues across the country this morning with some regions experiencing thousands of lightning strikes, hail, heavy wind, bit of snow. It's probably, I don't know, a plague of toads. That could have happened. Uh, we'll find out when we speak to the Met Service a little before six. But first, we're going to head to Mackenzie Country where the Linders Pass has been buried under snow. Here's Jordan Langley who runs the Mackenzie Country Weather NZ Facebook page. What we have seen is quite remarkable, really. Um, it may have uh, caught people off guard a little bit, but we have seen a total of around about 1.5 metres of snow in the last few days for Linders Pass, which is probably the worst snowfall for Linders Pass in years to remember. Someone was mentioning possibly close to that 2011 event, uh, which also saw that cold blast went up the country that year. Twizel also saw a good snowfall, roughly about 20 centimetres in places, which is more than predicted, and uh, it's probably the best snow for Twizel since the big snow back in 2015, which saw about 30 centimetres. So not often it snows in Twizel, but this is a great setup for snow. The west coast has also been battered by rain and strong winds, with waves breaching sea walls and scattering driftwood onto coastal roads. Greymouth local Merv Ellis went out to assess the damage yesterday. Sort of over the, been stuck at home isolating for the last week, and it's just sort of been sort of I guess day after day of thunderstorms rolling in off the sea. 
um, and then building up and as far as I know snowing in the mountains as well but the looks of the passes have been open and closed open and closing all the time um, beach wise I guess the sea's just built up over the last sort of few days and it seems to be at its height I think it's a bit higher further north I know for like it's sort of it's been breaching sort of all along the coast I think it's relatively minor here in the big scheme of things I think it's breached near the down near the airport, or the aerodrome's not really a proper airport, and yeah. Greymouth was sort of spilling over the beach at high tide, um, and then sort of smashing up against the the two tip heads. And I know in Cobden they had sort of water sort of, I guess, I guess mostly phone carry some stuff over onto an area called Demet Esplanade, where there's some houses. In Taranaki, strong winds caused multiple flights to be delayed yesterday. Port Taranaki was closed due to the weather. There were also widespread power outages yesterday. Here's Taranaki's Emergency Management Group Manager, Todd Velvin. Yes, yeah, so across Taranaki at the moment we're experiencing extremely uh, strong winds across the whole region, uh, which has been a bit damaging in places. Uh, so it's definitely, um, you know, make sure people have got things tied down at the moment. Is uh, you know, there are potential for trees and debris to come across roads and so forth. Along with the high winds we're having at the moment, we've got a very large sea uh, running. So it's about almost about uh, between about five and seven metres swell out of the southwest at the moment, and it's supposed to slowly ease sometime through Tuesday down to about four metres from the northwest. So um, experiencing it all across the region uh, high winds, big swells, and um, some heavy downpours with the odd bit of hail and thunderstorm. So, very good time for people to uh, be careful out on the roads and making sure uh, they've got a get ready plan um, if they do need to leave the house for any reason. And the Met Service will update us uh, with a forecast for the rest of the week later in the programme. 22 past five. I'm Nathan Rarere. You are listening to First Up on RNZ National Choice. Coming up, we're going to hear from a couple of All Blacks and we speak to Simplicity CEO Sam Stubbs after his company, a large shareholder in Fletcher's, dumped them as a client. It's the 14th of June and it's a happy birthday to Boy George. Yes, the Do They Know It's Christmas singer is 61 today. He was born George Allen O'Dowd on this day in 1961. Well, the All Blacks have announced their squad to take on the Irish in a three-test series next month. Uh, out of form, Sam Kane has retained his captaincy of the squad of 38, which contains six debutants. Peter Gus Soakula, Aidan Ross... Lester Fainganuku, Stephen Pedalfeta, Falau Fakatava, and Roger Tuivasa-Shek are the newcomers who heard their names read out yesterday. The All Blacks announced that squad at the Samoan Consulate in Mangere. Uh, so we sent our reporter Leonard Powell along to chat with some of the players. After being driven up from Hamilton by his captain Sam Kane, Leonard began by asking Chiefs hooker Samsoni Tokeaho how he rated his captain's driving. Uh, real good, real good. Um, got us here safe and sound so and did you hit those hailstorms this morning um we didn't we when we got up here to Auckland then it starts storming down so um no we're really good drive up yeah and uh what, what's your sort of message for the rookies and the all black you were a rookie last year yeah. uh how did, how did that go for you and what are you going to do this time around oh I think it's just you just enjoy it trim come true getting named in the all blacks for the first time so just enjoy it be yourself and for me I'm just looking forward to getting into camp Learning from the like of Dan Coles and Cody Taylor and just improving, getting better day by day, so yeah. And you live in Hamilton, where did you grow up, Sammy Sonny? I grew up in Tonga and then got an opportunity at St Paul's Collegiate in Hamilton to come over and play rugby and um, went to school, so yeah, came over in 2013, yeah. 
Yeah. I feel like the rest of New Zealand often gives Hamilton a bit of slack, but you, you know, what have you got to say to those people? Oh, I think for me, it's home. I came straight from Tonga to Hamilton, and uh, yeah, you've got to live there to enjoy it. You can't just stand from the outside and start throwing rocks in there. Nah, it's a really good spot. And uh, family back in Tonga, have you sent any of your All Blacks gear back from last season? Yeah, I've um, been able to send um, a bag full of the All Blacks gear back to back home so hopefully they'll be representing us and um, cheering for us to come to our series so yeah and when did you last get home uh, last time I got home was 2019 early 2019 so uh, yeah can't wait for the border to open up hopefully sometime this year or whenever it is and get home and see family so that was Samsoni Tokiaho. Uh, Taranaki's Josh Lord is also back in the squad after making two appearances for the All Blacks on their tour late last year. Leonard asked the 21-year-old Locke how he found out that he was back in the squad. Uh, I actually got told from my manager and we had a bit of a team function so around a few of the boys and yeah, it was pretty quiet. It was quiet. Awesome. And uh, who do you think in your family is most excited about this? Mum and Dad. Mum and Dad are always excited and, you know, it's pretty... Pretty cool to be able to hear my name and represent my family and my family friends. And uh, friends and family, who do you think is most likely to want to get some free All Blacks gear now that you're in the squad? There'll definitely be a few few aunties and cousins up in Auckland anyway for the first test match and then obviously it's wherever my family is, that they'll be coming to support. Who's someone growing up that's been influential in you getting here? Oh, it's hard to go past mum and dad. I'm always, I'm always a parents boy and obviously without them I wouldn't be here today. So yeah. Blues and Crusaders are playing this weekend. Who do you think is going to win and who do you want to win that game? I'm not really sure who I want to win yet. Obviously the Crusaders just pipped us in the weekend, but you know, Blues have had a pretty unreal season so far and the Crusaders, as they always are, they, they seem to be hitting their straps at the right time of the year. It'll be a close one. I don't know who I want to win though. If you had to pick? Oh, it'll be exciting for the Blues. You know, the Blues haven't won it in a long time. It's at home in Auckland, so I'll say the Blues. And because we're on the radio, you've got a great mullet. Uh, tell the people out there who can't see you how tall you are. Six foot nine, I think. So two meters four. And you're a 21. Are you still growing? I hope not. I don't want to get much taller. Hopefully, you get a bit more wider, but not much taller. And what do you have to do to get wider, Josh? Mum and Dad's meals. Yeah, get home. Mum and Dad's home cooked meals. Can't go wrong with that. Eh? That was Josh Lord speaking to Leonard Powell. Like sands through the hourglass, so are the days of our lives. This is the day of our life uh, that they call the 14th of June. It's a day that some men sat around a big piece of paper and drew a map. Went all around the way from here. Yep. All the way over to there. Yep. Okay, that'll do. Done? Done. That was in 1846. It was the United States and Britain signing the Oregon Treaty. You're going, what is that? That's where they come up with the border of um, Canada and the USA. There you go. Also on this day in 1844, some people went, okay, I mean, I don't get it, but it sounds all right, Charles Goodyear. Charles Goodyear, he received a patent for the process of rubber vulcanisation. I think his tyres went quite well after that. And on this day in 1959, it was the first operating monorail system in the Western Hemisphere was set up. In Disneyland. That's where the very first one was. There you are, trivia buffs that'll be in pub, you know, pub quizzes. You've got those. Let's have a look at, uh, I guess, famous person birthdays today, we'll call them. I don't know if they're celebrity birthdays. Uh, Ernesto Guevara, you know him as Che. 
because apparently that was uh, with Argentinian. That's how he used to finish all his sentences. So he was Che Guevara. Uh, of course, um, while he was studying medicine in Buenos Aires, he started up his own rugby magazine called Tickle. Uh, on this day in 1946, Donald Trump said, I was just born and I was the best at it ever. Uh, also celebrating a birthday today, rapper Ice Cube. The polar opposite of Donald Trump, he's 53 today, and actress Helen Hunt is 59, and that is the day of our life, the 14th of June. Joining us now from the business team, it's Ananzaki. Kia ora, sir, how are you? Morena, very well, how are you? I'm good. I saw this uh, piece come through here. Millennials and Gen Zs are very worried about the world. I don't. I don't blame them. Yeah. Look, uh, neither do I. And uh, you know, we've we had this survey from Deloitte, and they've gone and asked uh, Gen Zs and Millennials about the state of the world, uh, and and it shows that there are a lot of concerns out there, and they're worried about. The cost of living, climate change, wealth inequality, geopolitics politics and COVID. A few of those things are recent additions, I suspect. Uh, but at the same time, though, you know, they're not just sitting on their backsides and whinging. They are, you know, determined to drive positive changes in, in society, according to this survey. But, uh, look, perhaps unsurprisingly... They are struggling with daily life challenges around financial uncertainty. They're struggling to find uh, work-life balance and are dealing with consistently high stress levels. And chief among the concerns for Gen Zs and millennials is the cost of living. And that, of course, could be a symptom of the current times. Uh, Inflation is at a more than 30-year high in New Zealand. We aren't alone, of course, both the U.S., and the UK's uh, inflation rates uh, rates are higher, uh, but look, these generations have been talking about financial security over the past eleven years. That Deloitte's carried out this survey, they don't feel particularly secure financially. They're concerned about the gap between the rich and poor. Is it a surprise? Uh, no, not really. And Deloitte themselves say it's no surprise at all because. The reality, uh, and I think uh, you might be, uh, you you might have been hinting at this. The reality is, Kiwi Gen Zs and Millennials face house prices averaging over a million dollars. Fuel prices are nearly three times the cost of other countries, and many are actually taking second jobs to help ease their financial pressure. And I mean, I, I, finally, I guess yeah. I, I wasn't even looking at the financial side of things. You know, like like whenever anything th- that could save a planet or slow down any form of global warming is proposed, old politicians go, look, now is not the time. This is not, not, not. That, that's the extra worry too, I know, for the Gen Zs in our house. Absolutely. And, yeah. uh, you know, the climate, cha- uh, climate change in this survey was uh, a big concern for yeah. both generations. Three quarters of people believing that the world's at a tipping point when it comes to responding to uh, to the climate crisis. And around 90% of people in this survey uh, say that they're actually making an effort to protect the environment. So they're, 
They're walking the talk by the sounds of it. Yeah. Thank you very much, Anandzaki. You can hear more from Anand and the business team on Morning Report this morning at 10 to 7. As you know, each week we get to catch up with the deputy leaders of both parties here in Aotearoa. This morning it's the turn of Nationals Nicola Willis, as well as the party's controversial um, policy techniques to crack down on gang crime. We discussed yesterday's cabinet reshuffle, which sees Portal Williams dropped as police minister with uh, Chris Hipkins to take over that post. I asked, you know, what she makes of the new Labour front bench. The reality is it's still the same group of people around the cabinet table making decisions and the fundamental challenges this government faces haven't changed and I think New Zealanders will expect them to be delivering, to be reducing crime, to be addressing the cost of living, to be getting better results in our housing system and that will be the test for these ministers. Uh, A change of face in and of itself isn't delivery. Okay, so you're you're not expecting too much different then with with a different spokesperson in each role? Well, look, in the case, for example, of police, um, National was on the record as having said that we think that a change of minister is warranted there. And so it is good to see that the Prime Minister has moved there. I find it worrying that the Prime Minister herself admitted today that she thought there had been a loss of focus in that portfolio. Because, of course, it really matters uh, for communities in terms of their safety that they can know that their minister is always focused. The question and test for Chris Hipkins in that role will be, does he get the backing to give the police the new tools that they need and support them to crack down on gangs and to make the progress that New Zealanders are expecting and that they frankly need? Okay, yeah, I mean, last week, um, National, you, you announced your, your, your gang policies, you, you want to see banning of, of gang members' patches, uh, watching the, uh, banning them gathering together, uh, you know, in public and things like that. Um, I'm just wondering, you know, you, you just mentioned there, are they giving them the tools? What tools are you going to give the police to help with that? Well, so the tools that we uh, think the police need are greater powers to crack down on gangs. So we've proposed four new tools. One of those is firearm prohibition orders, including uh, having warrantless search powers for firearms. A second of those is the ability to stop gang members wearing gang insignia in public in a way that threatens and intimidates members of the public. The third is dispersal orders, so that when gangs are a gathering in a public place in a way that's menacing, as we've seen examples of and on, for example, the motorway between Auckland and the Waikato, that the police are able to disperse them. And finally, we've proposed a non-consorting order so that where police know that gang members are gathering to plan and organise crime, that police can stop them consorting in that way. So we think those four powers will give the police greater tools to ensure that where they think that gangs are trying to get away with the planning and exercise of criminal activity, that the police can get in there, disrupt it, stop it happening. So they, they get more money out of the budget from you to be able to do these things? Or, or where does well, the attention are... shift from if then, you know, to, to this? I think that the police are actually right now very focused on gangs, but the point is, a lot of the time, they can't stop crime before it's happening because they don't have the legal tools to do it. And what we're saying is when police now know that something might be being planned or uh, guys are getting together to plan something awful, they can say, right, we're giving you a non-consorting order. You are no longer allowed to associate. If we catch you associating again, you will be arrested. You will be stopped. Similarly, if they suspect that there is a firearm in the car of a known gang member who's got a criminal record, they can get in there, they can search for that firearm straight away, 
they don't need to wait for a warrant from the court. So this is about empowering police to take more action against gangs right now. Mm. In, in 2011, the High Court uh, ruled that the uh, Whanganui District Council's bylaw, where they were banning gang patches in public areas, was unlawful. Mm-hmm. Why is it lawful now? In all of these matters, a full Bill of Rights assessment will need to occur, and we think that's appropriate. And, of course, what will need to be weighed up in the uh, case of gang patches is whether the right to expression, the freedom of expression, the potential incursion on that is justified in a free and democratic society. Now, there are a range of legal views as I understand it, on whether this would be an appropriate uh, incursion, and and that's about the balance of rights and responsibilities, Uh, then that assessment is given to Parliament, and then Parliament makes a decision about whether or not it wishes to go ahead, depending on what that advice is. Now, there are examples already in our courts where uh, the courts have said, look, that would be an incursion, for example, breath testing. The courts have said that that would be an incursion on rights, but Parliament has gone ahead and done that anyway. So there is a careful balancing that needs to occur. Uh, but our view is, frankly, in a situation where communities up and down the country are being threatened and intimidated by gang members, they have lost some of their rights. They are not exercising their rights responsibly. It's It's been an interesting policy because it, it's come up with some quite interesting reaction. I saw Harry Tam uh, on TV One yesterday. He didn't think it was going to work. And I thought, well, OK. But someone else there, um, the former National Party minister, Chester Burrows, he, you know, a former policeman himself, he says that it isn't going to work. Um, how do you feel about the criticism that's come back that way? And why do you feel that Chester and Harry, etc., are wrong? Well, when I saw Harry Tan criticise it, a known gang leader in the mongrel mob, someone who has been part of the mongrel mob for many years, I wasn't surprised that he was opposed to it. Well, I do accept that there will be right-thinking people who will want to debate these measures. But our view is that the gangs have got out of control in New Zealand. They are causing mayhem. There were 23 drive-by shootings in a period of two weeks in Auckland, Mm. creating terror for people uh, in their homes who have had bullets through their walls, completely innocent members of the public. That's unacceptable. We need to send a message that we will not accept that. That means empowering the police, giving them more tools, trying new things. And that's what National is proposing. And and Chester Burrows? Yeah, look, I'm aware that Chester takes a view that other measures are needed. Look, as it happens, I think that there is more that we could be doing in our welfare system and in our social investment system as well. But I don't think that should preclude giving police extra powers. Um, And I think it's fine for National to sometimes disagree. Yeah. Uh, Finally, um, thank you for your time again this week. Uh, Finally, the Green Party has launched a petition, uh, this is for Auckland, to pedestrianise Queen Street. Would you support that? That's not something that I've talked to Aucklanders about. What I have observed recently is that Queen Street is quite forlorn when I've uh, walked along it. Um, And it seems to me that the major issue for Queen Street is getting a handle on the criminal activity that's been occurring there. I know that there are shopkeepers who have been burgled, that there are people who have been threatened, there have been acts of violence on Queen Street. I think the first step for a better Queen Street uh, is policing Queen Street and making it a safe place for people to walk along again. National's Deputy Leader Nicola Willis. 
you been on uh, Queen Street recently? Have you found it's unsafe? 2101, you can text us. I'm Nathan Rarity. You're listening to First Up on RNZ National. Between now and six, you're going to hear from the Simplicity CEO, Sam Stubbs, uh, about the jib situation and also the Met Service just uh, quickly touching base with us about the weather. You're welcome. The professionals of RNZ are the morning report team. It is Susie Ferguson who is with us this morning. Kia ora, Susie. Kia ora. What is happening on the show today? We are going to be talking cabinet reshuffle, of course, getting analysis from our deputy political editor, Craig McCulloch, on that one. Um, also, this weather, the wild weather, when will it end? It's spattering the west of the Motu. Uh, and we'll be hearing about the situation for some Buller residents who are evacuating because of the flood risk there. Also... Uh. It's been pretty bad up on the Kapiti Coast. It seems to be Tornado Central up there these days. Um, we'll be hearing an extraordinary story of one Fano and their experience in the last few days. And also Fletcher Building being questioned about the jib supply crisis at a meeting on Friday. It's all coming up after six. Yeah, thank you uh, very much, Susie Ferguson. Well, we'll get that stuff too. Here we go. Uh, it's uh, obviously tornadoes, as we just heard, along the Kapiti Coast. Nine metre swells at Auckland's west coast beaches. Uh, Auckland was 14 seasons in one day yesterday. Neil Finn rushing to the studio to record it. Uh, intermittent closure of the Harbour Bridge, road closures around the country, more than 100,000 lightning strikes in seven days. Uh, winter is most definitely here, but how long will the wild and woolly weather stick around? I asked Met Service meteorologist Amy Rossiter for the latest overnight information. Everything has been on a settling trend. We've had a few little thunderstorms in the west from Northland down to Wanganui, but they have all eased away this morning. That's fantastic. I think what what I see yesterday, I saw a graphic with about what a, a hundred thousand lightning strikes going on. So that that's good. I mean, was there still a lot of lightning around, or has that dropped away? Obviously, quite a bit as well. Yeah, it's dropped away quite a bit um, after that very active week. We're looking for a more stable day tomorrow. Okay, that's cool. Um, tell me this, the amount of tornadoes that we've had uh, in you know these last few days, is that highly unusual for this type of year or is this going to be a new normal? They're fairly common in these sort of highly active, um, unstable environments. It's just the fact that we've had this prolonged period of time where we've seen quite a few develop is more unusual. Okay, right. People do want to know uh, what it's going to be like for them here. So tell us about the coldest part of the country. Yep, so we're still looking at a very cold south-southwest flow over much of the country with snow down in the south. And uh, I'd say so a lot of snow there for those high Otago fields. Yes, I think we're forecasting snow to about 300 metres in the far south this morning. Okay, and what about for the rest of the week, the weather that's going to be around? Like, How long does the system stick around for? Yeah, so we stay in a sort of showery, westerly, southwesterly flow. So areas in the west and south will still see a few showers, but it'll be mainly fine for eastern regions. Okay, that's great. So the the areas that were flooding, I know Porirua had it quite poorly. We spoke to uh, Anita Baker, the mayor there yesterday. They were very worried about things. They don't really have too much more to worry about. So as you know, by the sounds of things from you, it doesn't look like there's too many big rainy uh, super systems coming through. No, they'll still see a few showers, but nothing as um, heavy as what we've seen over the last week. That's sort of good news, isn't it? 
Okay, uh, KiwiSaver provider Simplicity is asking for a please explain from Fletcher Building over this jib board debacle. Simplicity has $35 million wrapped up in Fletcher's, which equates to a 0.8% holding, uh, shareholding of the building giant. Despite that, they say, you know what they've done? They've actually sacked Fletcher's as their jib supplier for 550 homes that were due, um, well, they've sacked them due to slow delivery. Simplicity and the New Zealand Shareholders Association Association have arranged to meet with Fletcher Building on Friday. So when I spoke with Simplicity Chief Executive Sam Stubbs, I asked if um, people should be worried about what this will do to their KiwiSaver accounts. Not specifically because of the chip issue. I mean, obviously the markets are going through a lot of challenges at the moment. Now, while most people will own uh, some, well, many people will own some Fletcher Building shares in their KiwiSaver accounts, it will typically be a very, very small amount. So not specifically, or not that you would notice it, but collectively, of course, the decisions companies makes, even if it affects a whole lot of people a little bit, it's still in aggregate adds up to a lot. Yeah, you get to meet with Fletcher's this Friday. You're going to go and and discuss, yeah. I, I guess, the jib supplier crisis. What are you hoping when you leave that meeting? What ha- are you hoping that you've achieved or that you've settled on? What's really important is to meet with the directors of the company because they are the representatives of the shareholders and they're ultimately paid for by the shareholders as well, right? So mm. it's very important to have a have a conversation with the people who represent you within the company. And so what we're hoping to understand is and fully understand how did this crisis occur and most importantly, how will it not occur in the future and what will Fletcher's do to make sure that they have a much more sustainable business because when you have 95% market share and you can't supply that product, something is very fundamentally wrong. And right now we're building houses where we need a whole lot of products, steel, concrete, doors, windows, taps. We don't have a supply problem with any of those but we have a supply problem like everyone else has with JIB. So that points to a fundamental issue about the governance of the company. We want to understand what has caused that and what will happen to make sure that it doesn't happen again or what needs to happen to make sure it doesn't happen again. Because, Sam, I guess it's either they haven't gone and got themselves enough materials to make the stuff out of, or they have and they've gone and sent it somewhere. So I, I, like a lot of people around New Zealand, we're having work done on our place. And back in, it must have been about January, our builder said to us, hey, they're going to run out of jib. And, I, and I've heard that they're going to be stockpiling this so that they can sell it through their own suppliers. Like That was way back then. And he was like, just right. go and grab any you can. So it's been, I mean, it's been rumoured for a while, hasn't it, Sam? When you have 95% market share, you have tremendous market visibility, right? You know when the demand's coming and how it's coming through. So I'll be interested to see what Fletcher's say about how this surprised them, because it surprised, as you say, it surprised nobody else. And, and also very interested to hear why they didn't bring in a whole lot of imported jib to satisfy this demand. That doesn't seem to have happened. So very, very interesting. I mean, look, look I, I think that, that this is a slow train wreck that you could see happening, as you said. The problem is, is that we want to interview the train driver and say, why did you allow this to happen, right? Mm. So because because this is a critical issue. This is there's a whole lot of stakeholders here. It's not just a shareholder issue. Now, you know, Simplicity owns thirty five million dollars worth of their shares on behalf of our members. So we're having that conversation as a shareholder. 
we fired them as a customer. But there are a whole lot of other stakeholders in Fletcher Building. When you're a company that's that big and that vital to the construction of homes in New Zealand and commercial buildings and so on and so forth, it, it is vital that that company runs as well as it possibly can. The livelihoods and the quality of life of a whole lot of people depend on that. When it breaks down, as it clearly has here, in a very major way, with, you know, <clears throat> it's possibly the most boring product you could imagine, <laughs> but it's the most critical product that you could imagine, right? It's like oxygen. Yeah. in the building industry. So when that gets cut off and someone had their hand on the tap, we want to know, you know, we we want to know how did that happen and very much how it will not happen again. And so, you know, there's some really fundamental questions of governance here. So, and listen, we'll be going in and having a very open discussion. We want to understand understand this thing, form an opinion, and then we'll, we'll, we'll do what we think need, needs to be done as a consequence. Yeah, well, I'd say you sitting on one side of the table going, we've got about 30 million bucks worth of shares in you and we fired you as a client. That's a pretty good starting point that things aren't right. We, You know, R- Ross Taylor was on uh, Checkpoint, Monday night's Checkpoint. Yeah. What, what did you make of, of what Ross was saying? Oh, look, I think Ross was telling us what they've been telling us for a while now, right, which was that people have been hoarding it and that's a problem and the factories have been closed down and they're, you know, building a new one as fast as they can and running them as fast as they can. None of those um, arguments seem particularly convincing to me. People hoard a product because they fear that it's not going to be in good supply. You know, you'll hoard toilet paper if you don't think there's going to be toilet paper on the shelves. Well, there is a fundamental responsibility to be ensuring the steady supply of this. So the hoarding issue is not the problem. That is the consequence of the problem. And the consequence of the problem is a lack of faith in supply, right? So that one doesn't really wash too much. With regards to the factories closing down and so on, yes, those could have been easily foreseen. The building consents were coming through. So we just want to understand why some what seems to us to be pretty obvious mitigating factors, particularly the importation of jib from overseas and the substitution of it. Look, we can get jib from South Asia in eight weeks. We can't get it from South Auckland in eight months. There's something really fundamentally wrong there. So why has that happened? Um, what what we're hearing is, of course, what Fletcher's have been saying for quite some time now, um, and I'm sure it's genuinely and sincerely felt, but the consequences of that are People don't have a very basic building material. Houses aren't getting built. You know, this is causing an awful lot of distress. We took, you know, 60 inquiries from building companies over the weekend who were desperate to get hold of, genuinely desperate. And this is from the small, you know, mum and dad builders right through to the largest group home builders in the country. So this is a, you know, this is a systemic crisis. And, you know, the the really scary thing is that we, we don't think we're in the worst of it yet. We think it, it, it's actually going to get worse unless there's something extremely, you know, dramatic done. And I think also, you know, as a consequence, there's going to be some lessons for government, isn't there? Yeah. You know, this is, I mean, we've seen this with, with supermarkets and so on. There's a point at which the normal competitive dynamics don't work for the consumer. And that's when the government has to step in. So we welcome the Commerce Commission inquiry. They're going to have a really good look at it. And, you know, certainly this is not helpful if Fletcher's wanted to maintain the status quo, you know, and as a shareholder, by the way, we think that, uh, you know, any company that has a 95% market share is probably, you know, you're way more in danger of losing it than you are of getting any more market share. Something's fundamentally wrong when you, if you've got 95% market share and you can't supply the market, you know. I mean, here's another way of looking at it. If you had 95% market share, you would think your customers would be delighted with you, wouldn't you? You would think they were loving you so much that's the only thing they buy. But we have 95% market share and Fletcher's customers hate them. 
and are re- really desperate and frustrated, something is very fundamentally wrong with that, and we want to understand why we're in this situation because that's not good for any stakeholder. That's Sam Stubbs from KiwiSaver provider Simplicity. As we head towards 6 o'clock, I can tell you a lot of feedback coming in today. I asked you about pedestrianising Queen Street. Someone said, hi Nathan, maybe we could pave Queen Street with Bitcoin. Uh, that's, that's a good point. Politics, rugby, money, who cares? The Hurdle app isn't working today. Why aren't the mainstream media jumping up and down about this? Uh, all that's no good. That'll lose my streak. Here's another one. Labour rearranging their cabinet. Chris Luxon instantly announcing that he hated it. It's the most pre- predictable thing that could happen. How is that news? That's Ed. Uh, Hera says... Uh, Nicola Willis, old hat responses to gangs has never worked before. Going back to Muldoon, let the police tell the government what they need. They know the answers and are doing a great job. Bill says, how about a bit of honesty about real income, so wage and salary earners in New Zealand? They've actually risen substantially since 2018 when the nine-year anti-worker national government was finally dispatched. Man, there's a lot coming in this morning. Uh, Atamaria, Nathan, I'm a Wellington Central voter. I've listened closely to Nicola Willis this morning. That confirmed it. She'll never get my vote. Oh, Steve uh, from Wilton. Uh, people join gangs as they feel alienated from society. We need to ensure we address those issues. Thanks again from Pip. Plenty of feedback coming in. So much we can't get to it. There we go. I'm 71 and I don't find Queen Street unsafe. Uh, that's another one. Uh, thank you very much for getting in touch. Listen to us anytime on the podcast. Morning Report is next. Live-wise, first up's back in your ears. Up, ho, ho.